Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Because Money. This one is Dungeons and Ratios, where we will be talking about financial ratios. And we have back Jackson Middleton. Yay! Thanks for having me, guys. I kind of missed you all. I really like this show. <laughs> this show really likes you. That's, that's a fact. Hashtag fact. <laughs> uh, what have you been doing with yourself for the summer checks? Wow, that was awesome. Thanks for the throw over there, Sandy. Hashtag you know bad segue. There, there we go. Do you know what we did? We actually bought a school. And I kid you not, we, we bought a... 10,000 square foot building with a gym in Minoose Bay that's on Vancouver Island, kind of the paradise of Canada. Um, yeah, and, and we're loving it. Yeah, we, we bought a school, we homeschool, and we started our own little community. We've gone from six chickens to 22 chickens to 30 chickens to 40 chickens and five ducks. I want goats, goats and I want pigs and I want lots of animals. I have to apparently get an insurance rider that covers my agricultural venture now because I've got more chickens and I'm selling eggs. But no, we're pretty much homesteading. <laughs> and um, I mean, we're loving it. We, it was an old, uh, old Christian school that shut down about five years ago. They've had guys living here, but um, I got to, to know the owner and it just ended up working out where, yeah, we, we ended up buying a school so we live in a school and we've got another couple living with us and they just moved in and maybe we should do a episode on community living or something i don't know but uh my parents just moved in into a trailer and uh yeah we're we're classing the joint up there's 14 of us and it's a lot of fun so yeah i mean that's what we've been up to and we're living in a school that's the coolest summer ever i i can't be the only one who thinks that 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 just sounds like the best summer. We, Any we, summer with 40 chickens and five ducks. And chickens are awesome. If you guys don't have chickens, they're hilarious. We get a bunch of eggs from them. And we bought little chicks. They're little silky chicks, which is kind of like poodle chickens. And they, they get taken by hawks all the time. <laughs> Just whoosh, gone, poodle. Because they can't see anything. They've got a big poof of hair. It's crazy. But they make us eggs and they feed us. And chickens are just fabulous. Really like them. But actually, we've been teaching the kids a lot about business with the chickens and, you know, yeah. buying the food and taking care of them. Like, they, our kids do chores. I remember when I was a kid, having to do chores was not cool. But, I mean, Emma wakes me up at 7 a.m. Let's go let the chickens out. So we go let the <laughs> chickens out. And we, we've got neighbors that are buying eggs and we're selling them to them. And we've got a bank account set up for them. So our kids are actually operating a business at seven years old. And it's awesome. I wish I would have done that when I was a kid. That's amazing. That's such a great thing for kids to learn. And, it is. You know, if they're involved in it. And, yeah, that's really, really great. And plus, it's just great to have, I don't know, I miss, you know, I grew up on a farm. We didn't have animals, but we had lots to, like, the chores were really involved. And I liked my chores. I miss being able to go out and, like, work in the garden and, like, go, like, actually mow lawn for like six hours it's just like those chores it's I, I don't have anything like that in the city i can't just kind of like go shut my brain off and do some good old just physical work yeah it's yeah. well by school it's a lot of work by, <laughs> i will be honest with you i did think ah oh, owning a school not a big deal maybe i mean 
average homeowner. I mean, it's times 10 times 15, the work like, and the priorities It's like, well, I want to spend money on a chicken coop or a leaky roof or my gym or a classroom or the hallway floor. Like you, why would you ever have to spend money on your hallway floor? Well, you got to buff that puppy. You got to be shiny. <laughs> Because, I mean, you've got a piano in there, and that's where you play your piano. So it's just bizarre. But owning a school has turned over a lot of fun things, and it's, it's been a good summer. That, that sounds incredible. And that is definitely something that we're planning on talking about later in the season. Um, one, because it's I – I could hear you talk about it for 45 minutes an hour. <laughs> just, like – these are the most interesting problems ever. Do, should I buff my hallway? Should I replace my like gym floor? Or should I, you know, get more chickens or a goat? I really want you to get a goat. Seriously. But we're definitely going to talk about, about communal living. And that's something that um, we're all really, really looking forward to kind of diving into that topic from a couple of different angles. But today we're going to talk about financial ratios, which is not necessarily something that um, might get you initially excited. But financial ratios are these weird numbers that you come across in your life that the world uses to tell you whether you're good at money or not. It's just like, are you good at money? I don't know. What's your net worth? What's your credit score? And you're like, this? Am I good at it? And we don't really, these numbers are really interesting because they say they do some things really well and they don't do some things really well. So we're going to kind of pick apart a little bit, but we're going to start with... Um, a game of Dungeons and Ratios, um, loosely, very loosely, based on Dungeons and Dragons. And um, this is part of my need to just turn anything and everything into a game and everybody being really nice about <laughs> rolling with it. But here's, here's how it's going to work. So I, as the Dungeon Master, have drawn up a little scenario, and the three players will try to... The scenario is, we're in this world... You're about to see a client. The client may or may not be a troll. The client's definitely a troll. And the only way that you can figure out your goal, which is to figure out if this client slash troll is financially healthy, is through the work of three pre-approved ratios. You guys are all, since this is the first time playing, you're low-level characters. You don't have all the ratios. You don't have everything you can. You have three ratios. You have net worth. You have credit score, and you have your total debt service ratio, or the TDSR, as it likes to be called. So, are you ready to play Dungeons and Ratios? So ready. I was born so ready. ready. Okay. Born um, ready. <laughs> Sandy, did you ever come up with a fun Dungeons and Dragons name? Ooh, Grumpy Dwarf. <laughs> Grumpy. Okay, we got Grumpy Dwarf. Anybody else want to put a, a Dungeons and Dragons name into the, into the kit before we start it out? She just stole my name. I'm always a grumpy dwarf. <laughs> really? Are we going to have three grumpy dwarves? Come on, John. Be a okay. Grumpy We've got troll versus three grumpy dwarves. Love yes. the diversification, guys. Okay. So you are sitting in your wonderful school conference room and ready to see your next client. And your client enters. He's a troll, but you're not phased by that. Or maybe you are. And um, you realize very quickly that you don't speak a troll language. And so the only way that you can figure out how to determine his financial health is through the casting of your ratios. What do you want to do first? If he's in a school office, does this mean he's in Jackson's office? I'm already confused. <laughs> yeah. 
He is in Jackson's office. He's in my office. Well, what ratio <laughs> do I want to know? Uh, net worth is useless. Credit score. I want to know his credit score. Okay. But I guess I want net worth because the screen is up saying net worth. Oh. No, you want credit score. I want, yeah. The first thing I want to know, the first thing I'm looking at is, boom, just give me a credit score. Before the troll is in my office, I've got an online application to get yeah. that troll's credit score. So I need the score. Give me the okay. score. Credit score is 640. He's a pseudo-reasonable pseudo person. Hmm. That's right, so for a little bit of context, <laughs> uh, the credit score is a number, and it's sort of a black box because this sort of comes out of you know nowhere. It's a it's a secret algorithm that the credit agencies use. Uh, Equifax and TransUnion are the big ones in Canada, and it combines a number of different factors into a single score to try to get a measure of how likely someone is to repay a loan, how credit worthy they are. Um, and so it includes things like their history of paying back other loans and making their other payments on time, like their cell phone bills, et cetera, and, and uh, some other secret sauce factors that uh, maybe we don't even know about. And the uh, range is theoretically from 300 to 900. I don't think anyone is ever actually at the very edges. Um, one of the online lending companies recently uh, had a promotion to get your credit score for free, so I did that. So for uh, whatever it's worth, mine is in the low 800s. Ooh. So 640 is <laughs> not fantastic. It's sort of in the middle of that range, but being down in the middle means you've already got a couple of black marks against you or you haven't had a chance to build up some history. Okay. So that's what John learned about our troll client from his credit score. Do you guys agree? That's kind of what Jackson seemed to be thinking that he might be doing okay. John's skeptical. Of course, my background being from the mortgage world, when we're looking at a credit score, 640 means that you're going to qualify for a mortgage, but typically you've, you've had some type of derogatory thing on your credit bureau that has dropped that score back. Because when you start up fresh and clean and new and you got one credit card and it's got one month reporting, they're giving you a 780 and it's yours to mess that up. So, I mean, as things, you know, as you use your credit, 680 and above will qualify you for any mortgage product. Over 700 is a peach, over 800 and you're insane. So John is an insane grumpy troll. <laughs> Okay, that's, 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 fine. That, that's, I mean, in, I've looked at probably over 2,500 credit applications, and maybe I've seen a handful of over 800s. It doesn't surprise me that John has an over 800, because <laughs> he's exceptional. But um, no, the, I would say that any time that a client is over 700, it's just a sure thing. The lender is going to go, yeah, anytime it's under 680, not only the lender is going to have issue, but typically someone with a 640 credit score, and sorry if I'm generalizing here, but again, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons and it's a quick snapshot. Somebody with an under 680 credit score has a derogatory and they probably don't have a 20% down payment. They're going to qualify. They're going to have to use mortgage insurance to qualify. So now it's not just the lender that's scrutinizing it. It's CMHC and anything under 680 has reduced TDSR ratios, which means you need more income to qualify for a higher. So the credit score then would lead me to what's, what's the income and where's the TDSR in order for me to fully analyze this person. But I'm not getting excited about a client with 640. Yeah but it's workable. 
under yeah. 600 and it's uh, you're, you're going private financing or B lending. Okay. So as far as the question of financial health, it's still kind of somewhere in the middle. It's a little bit undetermined at this point. Very much so. Undetermined. Yeah. Could be good, could be bad. Perfect. Well, doesn't that suit for a nice narrative? It's almost like you need more information. Wow. Da, da, da. Wow. All right, what's your next move? Insane Grumpy Troll. What do you want to cast? Okay, because we already had it up, I will cast Net Worth. Net Worth. So Net Worth is revealed at 149,000. Positive. Oh, good. That positive is really good in there. Hmm, positive Net Worth. Well... If they sold everything today, which they probably wouldn't, they'd have money left over, theoretically speaking. That's about all we know from net worth. <laughs> and is it, is it liquid net worth? Do we know? No, we don't know. It's impossible to tell with this Undetermined. If it's equity in a house, it means nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't know about this troll. You don't know? Are you skeptical about this troll? No, I'm sure this troll is a really fine troll. I just, I question our ability to determine his financial health. Okay, but hold on. No, I mean, you can tell a lot from this. Okay, what does somebody with a 640 credit bureau have 149000 or whatever net worth? Doesn't happen. Tells me that they are irresponsible. They're not making payments. They're not doing things. You can't have 150 k in the bank and be lazy or... Yeah. That's how. That's what's going on here. Maybe he's, a non, maybe he's a non-participating troll. Maybe he's like, I, I don't care. This is a stupid system. I but use if cash. If you're trying to assess your financial health, which means you're going for more money, at least that's the way I look at it. If you're trying to go for more money, that's why you look at the credit score. That's why you look at TDSR. If you're going for more, if you're trying, you're telling me you got 150k and you can't manage what you have already. You have positive net worth. No, you no, hold manage. on. No, no, no. A 640 doesn't say that you can't manage. It might say that you have somebody living in the next town over who has a very similar name and a huge mistake on your credit bureau. Uh, that doesn't necessarily uh, say, With just these numbers, we can't say, oh, Mr. Troll, sorry. Oh, you stink. How old is the troll? How old is the troll? Does the troll have kids? Does the troll hate Rogers as much as the rest of everyone else does? Well, <laughs> and so I decided to not pay my bill. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Wow, great. You can't be trusted with a $100 phone bill, but yet you want to borrow a million dollars for a mortgage. Whoa, Who are you? Whoa. That's why you got a 640 credit bureau. Oh, put the brakes on, friend. Put the brakes on. <laughs> so <laughs> all species hate Rogers, including trolls, 100%. That doesn't mean that he is against paying his bills. I'm not saying that, but uh, it's hard to tell exactly what age he is because in troll years, it's just a different thing. But I would say somewhere in his thirties, he seems to be from a visual inspection. <laughs> I'm fair with that. So he's not, it's not some, it's, you know, and a lot of, I think Sandy's right with looking at a 640 credit score. If somebody's got 150 K in the bank, and they got a 640 credit score. They may have co-signed a loan and somebody might have gone bad on them. Or they might have a credit card that they thought was paid off and is showing $2 interest and has now gone to R4, R5. You know, They might have something going on that they might not be aware of. Because it doesn't make sense to have a 640 credit score with 150 k in the bank. I know guys with negative net worth of 80000 that have 700 credit scores. So, okay. 
Yeah, but like you said, it could be non-liquid net worth. It might not be money in the bank. It might be home equity, but it's only 10 or 20% or 10 or 15%, so they can't refinance to get it out when they hit into some other kind of trouble because they had, you know, a Sean Cooper-esque focus on just paying off their mortgage, then hit a problem that didn't even have liquid emergency fund and then couldn't get the money back out. Or it could be something else, like maybe a pension asset. So a pension can be worth quite a bit, but you can't spend it. What's a, what's a pension? Hashtag Sean Cooper. <laughs> okay, you guys sound like you need a bit more information. Yeah. Original Grumpy Ooh. Troll. Oh, Original Grumpy Troll, that's me. Well, grumpy I troll would like to know classic? TDSR. <laughs> TDSR. <laughs> no, I'm Grumpy Troll clear. Ah. TDSR is 42%. Oh. So this is a percentage of the gross income that this troll has in terms of what it costs to service their debt. So the principal repayments on whatever loans they have, the interest in, on that, the taxes, and the taxes here refers to property taxes on a uh, house or condo, uh, the heating bills on that same property, and any other debt payments. So the monthly payment that they have for a line minimum. of credit, student loan, yes, the minimum, thank you, uh, student loan, credit card uh, repayment, etc. Sorry, did this troll come into our office to ask to borrow money, or are we just assuming that because Jackson was a mortgage broker? <laughs> it's impossible. A call went out throughout the lands that three experts would, would evaluate your financial help, and the financial help drew this troll into your office. You know he wants to know if he's financially healthy, but that's all you know. Okay, so the one story could be this troll doesn't have it together as Jackson had expected before. Like, oh man, you're spending 42% of your income on just kind of these things that have to get paid. And maybe you have daycare and you're in your thirties and maybe you have all sorts of other stuff that isn't counted in the TDSR. I'm going to let Jackson say his really awesome thing about TDSR, but I would like to counterpoint before anybody makes the point. Maybe we don't, maybe this is a guy or girl troll. We don't know. It's hard to tell. Maybe this is a troll who, um, has kind of didn't realize how important things like TDSR and credit score were to kind of the conventional financial world and maybe he made some mistakes, but he's doing the right things now. And I don't think, I think these numbers might not tell us the whole story. So what Absolutely, because you're, um, sorry. Um, Absolutely, because it doesn't give us history, because these are just a snapshot of uh, what's going on now. So this could have been a troll that uh, had a bankruptcy four or five years ago, which is still just destroying or really weakening their credit, but they've done really well in the last couple of years uh, to help bring that up, and they made a lot of money and put a lot away, and maybe they do have... 150,000 liquid net worth, or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they've been sliding back after a good start that built up those assets and they stopped paying attention to stuff, let bills slide, let late payments accrue, and um, had some other debts pile up that led to that relatively high uh, debt service ratio. Wait. I mean, it's hard to say. What's that? The school bell rings. John is startled. His foot nudges a small box and out rolls a glowing orb. Jackson recognizes it immediately. It's an orb of time travel, which allows you to look at one ratio as it was last year and to put a ratio in context over time. Interesting twist, Dungeon Master. What ratio would you like to put in context from last year to this year? Wow. That's a tough one. 
Although I think the TDS are. I really, I'd say, I want to know if they're still spending, if they're spending 42% of their income on minimal expenses right here. If they were doing it a year ago, that's establishing a pattern. So if that's the ratio I got to go with, that's what I'm going with. Okay. You guys also have to agree because it's only one ratio that you can choose. So is there group consensus? I think so. I don't think a one-year change in net worth is going to be hugely informative. Unless it was an inheritance. If it was an an inheritance would make a difference. That's how you could have mediocre credit and you'd be spending everything you got. Because if you're spending everything you got at 42% of your income going towards servicing the debts you have, why would you be in that position if you got, I guess I'm thinking liquid asset of 150K, but maybe it's net worth in a house. I don't know. Because if it's in a house, then you can't tap it unless you're 65, but this person's 30. So no, they're good. All right. What's it going to be, guys? Which All right. Is, let's see. I'll agree. TDSR. Grump, All right. Grumpy Dwarf. The Trolls TDSR last year was 33%. Hmm. They're spending more money. I don't think that says anything. I, this time last year, it was 33%. Now it's 42%. We don't know if they had 140. Uh, no, I, this is ludicrous. <laughs> I refuse to play. And we've lost Sandy from the game. Sandy threw her hands up in disgust as a grumpy dwarf does. Which basically, in a fun way, really illustrates the point in frustration of financial ratios is... You know, even though they really look at ways to try to um, to expand the knowledge beyond these, these core ratios don't tell the whole story. They leave so much room for ambiguity. So for your own information, and there might be problems within this wonderful um, analogy, but the, the troll owned a house that he bought a while ago, and, and it had increased in net worth. So that's a large part of his net worth is from a house. Um, also, there's a small portion which is locked in retirement funds. The troll uh, went through a big job loss where he was earning quite a bit. And then when he lost his job, he went into a significant amount, not a significant amount of debt, but he wasn't paying his bills. He went into a bunch of credit card debt. It was really bad. And so his credit score used to be quite good, but it took a really hard hit. Now he's working again, but for a lower income. And so he's got about $30,000 less yearly income, which is making his TDSR way higher um, than it used to be, even though his costs haven't actually changed. So that was tricky. Troll. But the thing is, is that it's, it's hard to look at anybody's life through the context of just a few ratios. Um, and so let's quickly just kind of run through a little bit of the individual ratios and take a look at the strengths and weaknesses. Um, you, we've talked about them a little bit already, but uh, so net worth, what's it good at? What's it not good at? Well, I mean, it's good at doing what it does, which says if you sold everything and you, and you paid off everything that you owe, this yeah. is what would be left. Yeah. You know, and in some ways that's a really helpful metric, but in a lot of ways, just like we identified, well, could you sell all of those things? Would you sell all of those things? So if you had a liquid net worth of 149, while well, you're sitting on cash and you could probably deal with a job loss pretty yeah. well, but um, it doesn't, I, again, net worth, because you'd expect 
right, that there's probably a path that most people follow in their lives and their net worth is like this when they're younger and it gets bigger when you're older. And does that necessarily mean that somebody who's 65 is more financially healthy just because they have higher net worth than somebody who's 30 and making maybe better life choices? I don't know. That was a Donald Trump kind of statement. <laughs> it's also it's huge for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, it's pretty weak on not identifying how useful that net worth is to you in an, any given situation. Completely. Sorry, John. Yeah. And, and I was also going to say, it doesn't usually change very much uh, year to year. I mean, um, when you're just sort of starting out, got your first job, it might double or triple in the first year or two because, you know, you have nothing and then you save something and then you save that something again and then it's double. Uh, but once you're sort of later into your life, it doesn't tend to change up or down very much very fast. So it doesn't really give you a very good feedback on what's happening. I mean, it is good in a sense that if you need to pay for something, then you need to have money to do that with. And your net worth tells you if you sold everything and then you had money, what you could pay with. But, um, you know, there's a lot of granularity under there that's sort of hidden in terms of liquid and not liquid. And beyond that, it, it's not very useful to sort of check in on your net worth terribly often because you're not expecting it to change terribly often. Mm -hmm. Net worth is one of those, um, it's one of the internet's favorite metrics. You know, everybody loves to track the net worth and show their net worth. And it does seem, some people seem to find it very useful for showing progress over time. You know, whether it's effective or not, they, increasing the net worth. One thing that I think is very strong is that increasing net worth kind of, I think, can make debt payoff more satisfying mm-hmm. since you're actually increasing the number instead of feeling like you're just pouring money into a hole. It's actually showing in a ratio that it's all going up, which is a better representation of paying off debt. Um, but you guys are completely right about it not telling the whole story. Um, Jackson, I know you have quite a bit to say about the TDSR, which is a specific mortgage that, that where most people kind of encounter this ratio is when they want a mortgage. Is that right? Or a loan. Mortgage loan. Yeah, basically, it's just all of the money that you're making compared to what you're already spending. And uh, yeah, I mean, it never tells the full story. The problem is, is lenders want the TDSR to be a concrete thing. They're looking at it. Is this person going to pay back? And if they've got X amount for income, we're going to go up to 42, sometimes extend it to 44%, depending on their credit. And we're going to go up to there and no more. But it's kind of like, you know, I, I jokingly say when I was a mortgage broker, the, 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 the question I got asked most was how much can I qualify for, which is the TDSR. And the second question was, are you sure that's it? Because people want to go right to their limit. But so the TDSR is created to be this concrete thing, but I've had clients that have come in, spent, gone to their limit of their TDSR, but they're not taking into account things like a maternity leave. So you ask the question, hey, you're a young couple. Are, are you planning on having kids? Oh, yeah, but we just want to get the mortgage first so that we get it. You're at a 42% TDSR, but then are you going to go on mat leave? Oh, yeah, we'll take the mat leave. Well, that's 65% of your income. So... Do you want to just maybe scale that back down so it's more reasonable? Oh, no, let's spend the most we can. So the TDSR doesn't really do that. But then when you got kids, oh, we'll just put the kids in daycare. Okay, do we want to use daycare as a liability to, like, self-govern that down? No. So the TDSR, again, does it's not really concrete because you got gas to drive to work. Some people commute $500 a month. Are we including that in? No. Some people have childcare. 
that's expensive. Yeah. Daycare is expensive. And we don't consider that, you know, but it is what it is. So, I mean, TDSR, as we very cleverly put in the, in your whole dungeons and ratios thing, it really, it doesn't paint a whole picture. And from a, assessing a financial stand like assessing someone financially you can't just look at the tdsr and say is it good and that's why when you're assessing uh, somebody you do want to look at more than just the credit score you want to look at the application sandy why don't you talk sorry i'm sorry but tdsr can also tell you not tell you positive things about somebody there are people might have sources of income that you cannot use on a tdsr because you don't have a two-year history for it or It's, uh, it's child support that they privately agreed to and they always get it, but you don't have documents from a court that say that they get it. Like, there's other things that, on the positive side, sometimes people have. That's all and I'm, I'm Now, I've been out of mortgages for a little bit, but the whole new Justin Trudeau free government money because you've got kids, I don't believe that's taxable. So if they're giving away free money and it's not taxable, it's not considered income. Yeah. And I'm sure some lender is going to look at it and go, yeah, it makes sense. You've got 78 kids. But, I mean... In practical taste, you're right. So maybe that does offset the cost. And it is just an arbitrary ratio. I mean, 42%, 44%, you scale it back to 36%. I mean, you're right. It doesn't include everything. So it can't be relied on as the only thing. But yeah. I think your credit report, when you're looking at the credit score, and you're looking at the, just as the beacon score, the, the, the credit score, 300 to 800, 900, doesn't do the full picture. You look at the history of repayment on trade lines late, you can actually then say, oh, there was a collection here, didn't know about it. 20% of the trade lines on Equifax are supposed to contain errors anyways. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I mean, I pulled my credit report, and... I, my, my middle name is the same as my dad's first name. And at one point, our, I had a credit card, uh, I had a credit profile reporting from before I was born. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's certainly not, uh, it's, it's the big picture. It's, it's the figuring out everything as part of a big picture and then assessing that. Well, on the so, upside so for the uh, total debt service ratio, um, you know, it misses a lot. It's not a t- complete picture by any means as you guys have already gone into but on the upside, it captures the core thing that you need to understand when you're giving out a loan, which is that that loan has to be paid back. And it doesn't usually get paid back from net income. It gets paid back from income, uh, from net worth. It gets paid back from income. And so comparing the payment obligation in some way to some measure of income makes sense. It's just it's not perfect, and it's really hard to get perfect without having you know, 10 or 20 some ratios or looking at just yeah. a bigger picture rather than a simple ratio. So, I mean, there's more that could be done, but the, the, there is a reason why income and payments are what big components of that. Totally. And is it fair to say, you know, listening to you guys talk about this, it sounds like one of the most important things for, you know, a person to know about these ratios is that they're not, it, it's not about trying to get a good ratio. And just because you have a good ratio doesn't necessarily mean that you're ready for that debt, that that's the full amount that you can actually qualify for, that you are good at, like, if you can have a good credit score and say like, oh, but I'm not, I know that I forget payments kind of in between and I'm not really great at managing debt. And, and you can have a TDSR that looks okay, but, or like you were saying, Jackson, where you're like, this is how much I can qualify for, but looking at your life specifically and saying it's my responsibility since it's my debt, that I'm covering to look at my real costs, what I really have available, 
and not to just kind of take these ratios at face value because the banks are more likely to take them at face value. So it totally puts the emphasis onto you yeah. as the person getting the mortgage to say, no, wait, what can I actually carry? And not to say the bank's probably looking out for me. The bank is not looking out for you. Oh, totally. Yeah, exactly. And I think the best advice you can give somebody is if you're not sure, try on the payment. If yeah. you're renting for $1,000 a month and you figure, okay, this, my mortgage payment's going to be 1000 but then I got 1200 and I got 500 for property taxes and insurance, and then I got this, and then I want to set aside, test out 1800 bucks a month for three months. If you can't make 1800 for three months, why bother, regardless of whether or not you can afford the mortgage or not, test out the payment, see if it works for you, but do it from a place of strength where you haven't gone and bought the $1,800 a month payment. And it's like, crap, I really spend everything I make and I shouldn't be more than a thousand. hundred percent. That's outstanding advice. So Sandy, summing up a little bit about, you know, what's the, what are financial ra uh, ratios good for? And, 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 um, and, and what, you know, what should people, do they matter? Do they matter to people? Should people take credence? Should they be looking at what their financial ratios are? Or is this not something they should worry about? No, if you don't know anything about your finances and you go like, oh, I wonder how things are going. It doesn't hurt to look at those numbers. Um, but I probably wouldn't. I mean, there are a lot of people who are never going to have a, a low TDSR. Yeah. And I don't think that means that we need to, you know, pin their worth. And I don't think that's what we're implying. No. I would never, you know, want to pin their life story on those three numbers or any combination of numbers. Yeah. Um, they can be useful. Yeah. But uh, context is nice. I want to add just a tiny little dose of hippiness before we, uh, before we jump we'll out. We were talking a little bit uh, in our inter episode about the idea that your assets are not all summed up in, in just your, your monetary balance sheet. So these ratios look specifically at your money I would just say one thing I always have to tell myself when I look at these, because my, these are not, my ratios don't look great. You know, some of them look okay, but you know, my net worth is not fantastic. And so um, to remember the other assets that you have, and you're talking about non-financial assets like community, like all of these things that you can kind of go for and that provide huge worth and value to your life that financial ratios are never going to encapsulate. Encapsulate. Okay. That's super. Uh, just super. <laughs> As someone who lives in community, I applaud that. <laughs> Big community fans over here, both the show and the thing. Mm -hmm. Joseph Cup. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Nerd. Nerd. Um, all right. Let's uh, kick off into our unnamed segment that we promise we'll figure out a name for at some point. Let's do it quickly, though, because my non-financial asset has supper ready. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Okay, so Jackson and everyone listening, this is a segment where we talk about what everyone else in the world is doing, what we think other people should be listening to, watching, reading, uh, what is important. So, Chris, you go first. Okay, I found this really cool website today um, that is it's just awesome. It's called Earth, the Earth Awaits. Do you guys know this? Have you seen this? No, you can, no. Yeah, you can just check it out. You can put in your monthly budget, family size, what kind of apartment you're looking for, lifestyle, crime rate, and pollution, and it tells you which city in the world you should look into living in. So to look at the whole world and tell you the average cost and how they break that down, and they use like crime and pollution, you can specify which, what you want the main language to be. It's cool. Um, 
it's it's just for if you're a world traveler and somebody who wants to just figure out what it would be like just to live on fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars a um a month in retirement it's possible and the site will show you how wow Maybe? oh Maybe? um I read a really good blog post. This is going to sound really, really cross-promotional. Um, but Jack or John actually wrote a really good blog post today about index investing and the example that people like to use to say, well, index investing is stupid because Nortel or because Valiant or Valiant. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I only read books to myself. Um, <clears throat> uh, and he did, I, I'm not even going to bother trying it. It's just it's a pretty short, sweet little blog post on holypotato.net and uh, you should read it. Okay, thanks, Jackson. Apparently Earth Waits tells me I should be living in Heidelberg, Germany. Well, that's um, no surprise. <laughs> but I had you begged for a Heidelberg man this whole time. I don't, I, I don't speak German, so maybe I should find the grid and check off English. It's okay, but the Germans speak better English than we do. I'm sure. <laughs> Um, speaking of foreign people, I think paying attention to the news, maybe I'm just going to go into like trend. This whole tax thing for foreign buyers in Vancouver, uh, the 15% foreign home ownership tax, the fact that they didn't grandfather that and make it like go back, we've got now there's a class action lawsuit going on. And it's crazy. If I've been paying attention to this, and I know the media is sensationalizing it, and I know that I'm getting sucked right in, but I mean, this is horrible what they've done to people. And they're, 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 they're claiming that they've made like 500 million or billion or trillion off of this quadrillion, and they're going to put it into affordable housing. The other thing is I heard Vancouver, uh, Toronto's thinking about doing it. So yeah. all you guys out east, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, it's we're breaking rules here. Like NAFTA We're this is not good. Anyways. Um, I've just been watching that. And I think if you're, if you're not paying attention to it, um, it's really sending out some interesting messages about who we are as Canadians and um, stopping taxing people for moving here. I'm, I'm just not for it because I know what's going to happen is everyone else is going to go. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're taxing us. We're going to tax you. And then I can't live in Heidelberg, Germany. <laughs> That's, that's what I'm paying attention to. Just perfect callback. Just really, really good. <laughs> I think that's it. Are we done? Are we done? Well, hey, there's me. So, uh, yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I'm going to recommend that people read something that isn't uh, financial, that isn't really very much real. Oh. And it's the latest comic, uh, at least at the time that we're recording this, by The Oatmeal called How to Be Perfectly Unhappy. It's and so it, good. It's really it's great. It's so good. Guys, so there you go. Uh, these guys are loving it. Um, because, you know, money and happiness and contentment, which is different from being happy or unhappy, but they're very important for personal finances. Um, those really tie into how you're able to live within your means and your budget and all that stuff. Uh, so contentment and how to be unhappy and how to be happy, really great. And that's just a really great comic to read. I really want to point people towards it. And I mean, I want to abuse a quote by Norm Verlog and say, you know, you can't build a successful life on misery and insecurity. Um, so, you know, you got to have that uh, contentment and happiness in your life to, to continue. And if you want to continue to read more about this, you can read the book called Happy Money, uh, which gets into it a little bit more. You stole my next week's unnamed segment. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to read something else. <laughs> How dare you? 
Okay, so thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll be back in two more weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.